Hello and welcome to another episode of Sheffield Digital Podcast. I'm Chris Diamond and I'm joined by my fellow director Mel Kanarek. Hello. But, but not by Ian, who can't make it today, unfortunately. So we, we've got control of the ship. All chaos is about to break out. <laughs> yeah, much editing <laughs> for when Ian gets back. <laughs> Sorry, Ian. Yeah. We're also here with Sam Chapman, CIO and co-founder of The Flow which is a Sheffield company that uses tech to make mobility safer and smarter for everyone. Sam's also the chair of the Economy.Chef group, which regularly brings local stakeholders together to collaborate on improving Sheffield's digital economy. We'll be talking to Sam shortly before going on to cover the latest happenings in the city's digital sector. But first, a big thanks to... Do you want to say it, Mel? No, no, you're on a, on a roll. I should just let you go with I it. I was, yeah, until you looked at me. Sorry. <laughs> it's the power of my look. That's right. Uh, yeah, big thanks to Rebel Base Media, whose studio we're in once more. Um, they're a, a dedicated podcast studio here at Sheffield Technology Parks, um, and uh, they, they offer their studio to anybody who wants to use it for a fee, uh, as well as loads of advice and um, and promotion. Uh, and they're brilliant, and they... they uh, uh, do a great job. So hello, Sam. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Good to be here. So just to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about your background and about The Flow, what you do there? Of course. So um, I we founded The Flow in 2012, so it's been going for some time now. Um, before that, I've been in Sheffield for quite some time, been involved in quite a lot of the um, tech scene that's going on, be it via the universities, via um, computer games companies, uh, founded another company before this. Um, but um, the the flow has been going for quite some time and the flow specializes in looking at things that move using data analytics, understanding what that means for risk. For, for risk as in insurance risk? Yeah, primarily insurance risk um, to understand. It helps insurers, helps uh, automotive companies, breakdown companies even, even um, education of drivers, but understanding in really fine-grained detail how objects that are moving around impair a risk that generally needs underwriting. Okay. Um, so how did, how did the company come about? Um, what was your role at the university? And did this come out of a specific project or an idea or what, what happened? So a long time ago, I was in the university. I was involved in a, one of the research groups there. I was uh, running a lot of uh, European projects, involved in a lot of um, st- starting spin-out activities. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a time when um, there was a, c- a company that was being founded off a patent that I got involved in. And over time, that took over more and more of my time in the university, less and less of my time. But I was still remained connected in, in connection with the university, and I still do to this day. And working with them um, meant that throughout the years, I was still involved in the odd university meetings. I was still involved in a lot of things that were going on there. So despite being in this other company, I was meeting people that were coming over to visit the university that had interest in the areas where I had skills in. Okay. So I, I met through um, and in connection to the university, my co-founder. And um, the first time I met him, it was an interesting conversation, but didn't really go anywhere. Um, it was uh, it was only later on when he came back and, um, and started saying, well, actually, he'd made a few changes. He'd, he'd left the company he was in. He was looking for a different idea. Um, I had a clear idea of how that could be implemented in a way that wasn't anywhere else. And it opened a potential for a market opportunity. And at that point, I felt, I had to do this. So it was a case of stepping out from what I was already doing, which a lot of people thought was a bit mad. I was already CEO of a company at that point. It was Um, growing and it was growing. It was, it was doing its own thing, but it was only ever going to grow so far. It was in a market that was um, uh, mostly dealing with um, aerospace at the time. Mm -hmm. And in that we couldn't really tell people what we did. So finding customers wasn't particularly (laughs) easy. It wasn't particularly easy to scale once you'd got that one customer. So although we were doing interesting things, it wasn't, really challenging me anymore. And I wanted to do something different. Mm. And this created an opportunity for me to explore something quite different. And I saw it as a big enough challenge and interesting enough that I just couldn't say no, really. Right. So when, when was this? That was um, in the beginning of 2012, late 2011. And around those uh, years, it was um, in connection to an exploration looking for 
how to gather data related to insurance. And it was very much in the early days because there was no internet of things. There was no people talking about that in line with various policies and so on. But there were car alarms that gathered location. Uh. There were um, some devices, you know, Chinese made, manufactured and fitted, very expensive into very expensive vehicles tracking them. But there wasn't really a mass market uh, for this. It wasn't across all policies because it was too expensive for the equipment, too expensive to gather the data. And it was generally really inefficient. And I could just see how that could be addressed and made better. And that's where the idea came from originally. Excellent. So is your background actually in computer science or data or maths or physics? Where, where did you come from? So computer science, um, I, I undergraduate in, um, in computer science. I did um, a, strangely, I did a, a master's in human body forensics. I was actually oh, wow. um, looking at, um, at scenarios of um, people as they were under um, unfortunate incidents that occurred to create information that was usable in court scenarios. And I was working with Jack Straw and a few other people at the time to try and work out how that could be applied in UK courtrooms. Is this where your desire to reduce accidents came from? Um, one, one of the many, many reasons why I have that desire. I mean, it's it, if you look at how you can impact the world, there's lots of different things. I mean, I've, I've done all sorts of different work in different areas, like um, pollution, new species. I've you know, done lots of different domains over the years, but... When you look at the number of times that, that people get injured in accidents, and particularly when you start to hit that with people you know, it becomes something that you become quite passionate about. And if you think about the number, it's 1.6 million every year. It's 22 times the number of people that die in any warfare. It's a phenomenal amount. It has the biggest impact in terms of GDP and GDP reduction in the world, uh, typically 3% of any westernised nation and up to about 6 or 7% anywhere else in the world. So the impact from uh, incidents related to traffic are huge in the knock-on effects, much larger than anyone normally assumes. Wow. So to begin with, like when I first encountered the flow, it was like, oh, right, you're working with insurers and, and I thought the focus was around insurance. And then I saw more of your the work that you were collecting data in terms of traffic flow and pollution and those sorts of things. But now hearing you talk, it's much more about the people in the vehicles rather than the people who are insuring them. So it becomes much more um, human focused rather than big corporate focused. Would that yeah. be a true reflection? I think so. It's always about understanding safety. Um, you could just work for, I mean, there are many companies out there that work with insurers that would um, say, here's a modifier to your risk. It's great, but it doesn't really change the world. It doesn't do anything with that value. It may make an insurer slightly more money. It may make them slightly more money, but it doesn't change anything. We set out from the in, from the, right from inception to try and say, how can we use this information to make things better? So not actually just understand, but how to change. And that's the important difference, I think. So that's led us to embrace a whole new range of different um, approaches. So we've got psychologists working on um, how you change behaviour, how you nudge people in different ways. We've got um, uh, call centres that call people up that actually try to uh, alter people's behaviour when we identify them as very, very, very high risk um, in order to actually try and make people safer on the roads. And it has a huge impact and saves quite a lot of lives. So it's not just about insurance. Um, it does have a benefit in doing that because the insurer ends up having less claims. But for me personally, it's about actually making an impact in the world. Right. So this isn't just about the, the data in the aggregate. It's not, not, not just about looking at the vast bulk of, of data and trying to create better risk models based on it. It's about looking at the edges and, and the edge cases and then directly communicating with those people to try and nudge them into changing their behaviour or driving more safely, is that? Correct, yes. Wow. Uh, so you, you can do that individually on an individual basis. I mean, historically, people have given driver training as a as a basis of you get the entire pool of drivers, you put them all in the same training, it's a bit of a sheep dip approach, mm -hmm. that therefore at the end of it, everyone comes out and then they go, okay, maybe I should drive a bit better for a day or so. And then they all revert to behaviour and no one really changes. And there's been many approaches for years that have been looking at how to, how to educate. But if you do it based on evidence and you do it based on data, you can have more of an impact. Mm -hmm. And is this presumably, that's something that people have opted into? 
Of course, by virtue yes. of taking this insurance yeah. policy out. Yeah, people opt into this. They uh, no one, you know, no one gets these services unless they want them. It's uh, most people opt into it until it's it too late, I guess. Primarily from the basis of uh, saving money. It does save an awful lot of money for most of the drivers because rather than being priced on someone else's mistakes, you can actually see how you actually drive. So if you are driving, you know, more than fifty percent of the population stand to benefit by adopting those sorts of technologies, and particularly when you're young, you get very bad ratings that as soon as you can start saying, well, actually, I don't drive like a madman. I don't drive at three in the morning with 15 people in the car at 70 miles an hour through the city centre. Actually, you're not that part of the risk scenario that's creating the cost for everybody else. Right. So as soon as you can identify that and improve that, so, then it becomes better for everyone, and it generally changes behaviour everywhere. It literally rewards you for being a safer driver Correct. directly. Makes so much sense, doesn't yeah, it? it does. And does it work um, off a black box in the car? So when we first started, uh, the gap that we saw in the industry was using smartphones because black boxes were around at that point, but they were very expensive. They were, um, at that time, they were um, over £100 to try and get one of these, get it installed, get it fitted, and you're, then you're paying for data on top to transmit information out. If you think of the average cost of a policy, you've got to make a very big difference to actually sum up the value for that kind of proposition. The only place it made sense is what sense was in Ferraris, Maseratis, or the very most risky individuals, which they, there was still some of those around. There were quite a lot of people applied to. Um, at, there was quite a lot of uh, usage of that, uh, particularly for sales fleets, uh, where there is risk-taking behaviour and extreme pressures on time that meant a lot of that behaviour was found to be quite common in those sorts of fleets. But that's not everybody, and it's not where the majority of risk actually sits. So the first thing that we saw was actually these devices, they look at accelerometers, they look at GPS, they pull that information out and they do analytics on it. You can do that with a smartphone. Mm. The issue for that is obviously actually you're going to drain the battery. Mm. So how do you do that in a way that monitors only what you need to, doesn't spy on the end user, that only monitors what you absolutely need to to get an impression of actually someone's safety. That's the important thing, to get the minimal data necessary in order to understand that risk such that a decision can be made and also to feed back that information to try and reward good behaviour. Yeah, I guess that's where the computer science comes in. That's where a lot of big data, computer science comes in and there's also a lot more analysis that uh, gets involved there. We, we started employing people from um, a physicist um, um, early on in the in the incarnation of the company and how we did a lot of the data because they were used to dealing with very large data sets right. and beyond what most computer scientists were capable of dealing with. So we had a lot of astrophysicists right. uh, employed in the early days doing doing a lot of... Um, People uh, that are used to data feeds from major instruments. From major instruments that have a lot of real-time data because we are dealing with a tremendous amount of data that gives us that impression of what's going on. But what we're really looking for, the majority of that is not very interesting. It's really looking for the the small cues in that large haystack that actually are indicative to says something isn't right here. How can we make it better? And that's the important things to try and find. So you've mentioned that you employ computer scientists and physicists and psychologists and who else? What other sorts of talent are you on the look, how many? look out for? And how many? Yeah. So we're about 120 at the moment and we employ people from a, a vast range of backgrounds, but we are primarily looking for 70% of our staff is technical. Mm. They focus on solving problems that are software in nature or data in nature. So we have a lot of data scientists. We have a lot of mobile and platform people. We have a lot of IT kind of operations, fairly standard kind of backgrounds, but we do like people that have had experience with large data in that and to try and actually get a familiarity for what we do. Um, the other 30% of that are actually um, quite wide ranging, ranging from uh, psychologists to client um, admin, various other roles that are actually looking at those industries. Also automotive and insurance professionals. So we do need to interface with those industries and interface with them well. So we do need to have advanced understanding of, of vehicles themselves, their safety systems. We do need to have advanced understanding of how um, insurers work. We have actuaries, we have fellows of actuaries in our, in our employment that focus on translating what we do into something that an insurer needs. Because insurers, at the end of the day, are quite risk averse. Their technology hasn't quite caught up, let's say. So we need to translate what we're able to see into something that they're able to act upon. 
And that is actually a big challenge in itself because they're using quite legacy systems in some ways. Do they, do they see your your data and your system as an opportunity to create new products? Or is that, is that the kind of behaviour change that you need to engender they, in the marketplace? They do. There's a lot of new products coming out. There's uh, uh, products that are based on insurance that um, you can um, just buy and pay as you go. You know, they stop and start as and when you want. There's a lot of products that are looking at different areas and aspects of safety. So in different countries, these look very, very different. The UK has a particular view and it's mostly... Everyone believes it's young driver. It's not so much. Uh, if you look worldwide, it certainly isn't. Mm. Um, the The basis of um, why and how you uh, look at and monitor and understand uh, movement is very different from country to country. In South Africa, it's primarily about personal safety and making sure that your car hasn't been carjacked or mm. um, looking for you know summoning help when you need it. Um, in in South America, it's primarily about freight theft. So there's very different reasons that people need these types of technologies, but the prime basis of it is, can you understand how and what's going on? And the prior technology before we got involved in this was really quite fundamentally basic. You could say where something was in case it got stolen so you could find it. It wasn't really much more advanced than that. Some of the analytics would say, well, actually you've done this many miles, therefore you must be a bigger risk. But actually, the more miles you do, the safer you become because of the experience. So actually, that wasn't really very predictive. Um, there's still a lot of competitors in the market now that still rate people on the basis of um, harsh accelerations. So the more harsh accelerations you do, the obviously, the more worse driver you are. That's clearly not true. If you're driving in a city, you have to accelerate hard. If you're trying to turn across traffic, actually, the context is that you need to move in that way. Mm-hmm. The important thing is, is to understand why that behavior is there and what are the things that look unusual. And those aspects of unusual, everyone does them all the time. There's no problem with doing them. It's just the frequency and the locations in which you do them. Mm. And that's when it becomes inherently and potentially unsafe. And if you can identify that, you can then try and urge people in the right direction. It's not about punishing someone with a stick. It's actually offering rewards for good behavior. It's actually... um, giving them an incentive to try and actually realise that they have the power themselves to lower their own policy cost and get rewards through the basis and save people's lives whilst they do it. And if you can do that, you can change the world. Fantastic. So you mentioned, you know, working with the insurance industry and working with the automotive industry. How easy or difficult was it to get them to understand what you were going to do and the sorts of benefits you were going to bring to them? It was very hard, particularly at first, because we we started in stealth. So no one knew who we were. We had uh, three customers before we had a website, and those were big international customers in different countries. So in terms of... That helps. (laughs) It helps to get those sorts of customers, but it's actually hard to get those sort of customers when no one even knows you exist. So there is a, a, a big challenge, but it is an industry that's built on finance and proof. If you can evidence... If you adopt this system, it will save this much. If you could do this, it will produce that. But the case is you need the scientific proof, the backing. So there's a lot of research in that to actually say, here's what benefit it can bring. Here's how positive that will make you. Here's how better you can connect to a customer rather than them all turn away and go and go off to a new customer every single year. Here's a positive experience instead. So if you can transform that, actually they're quite easy to buy in once they can see that. The problem is you need to evidence it and you need to get to them to evidence that. That is the real challenge. And that did take some time, particularly in the early days. Um, Later on, that became much easier because we got renowned for what we did. So it was very easy to walk in fairly high level into most insurance firms or automotive firms to, to have those types of conversations. But it does still take 18 months or 12 months to try and get a prospect to turn into a client and then another 18 months to actually get them to roll out and scale. These, these are not fast moving industries in terms of um, innovation. There are exceptions to that and we do get involved in a lot of those, but in general um, we do have a, a, a constant challenge to try and make the industry move as fast as we want it to. And I know that um, you're, global now you're operating all over the world and you've been on trips to India and places like that how helpful have central government departments been in allowing you to do that sort of global expansion 
I think it was it was very helpful and it's been very um, powerful for us, particularly for in- international sales. Once we got our first customer in the UK, um, we needed to expand internationally. If we got another customer in the UK, the first one would get annoyed. Mm. So it, our prime tactic and strategy at that point was we need to go to the next country and try that again. And we went to the nearest, most sensible place. We we decided that the, the US was the most obvious option we could go to next. Of course, it didn't quite work out like that. Our next customer ended up in Argentina, but um, <laughs> the but the but the approach was actually led with a lot of um, support from government. And this is absolutely important when you're a business to business organization, because people don't have visibility of who you are. You need that recognition. You need um, you need those. Um, certifications that you are good at what you do and you need to get that presence. And sometimes that is something that government are actually very good at doing. Mm -hmm. And they are quite helpful, particularly for uh, young, growing and new companies that have an eye on the export market. There is a lot of support and a lot of advice that can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. And I would urge anyone that's thinking in that area to definitely explore it. If you convince them that they're worth Promoting and investing in, I guess. And you, you made the, the Future 50, didn't you, a couple of years ago? Which Yes, yeah, we, we well. were, yeah, it was in the top 50 tech companies. We were in the Future 50. For, uh, sometime we're alumni of that now, mm-hmm. uh, amongst a very good cohort of um, organisations. And um, that was a, a, a useful thing as well. And just in terms of uh, positioning, into, uh, it, that helped particularly in um, the UK. Um, what was more powerful for us was actually the Queen's Award. Oh. And and that had a huge impact, um, particularly in the US and the Far East. That's the Queen's it, Award for Innovation. It was, yes. It's a it's an in, interesting thing to get go and meet the Queen, and uh, um, we drank gin together. It was all fine. Excellent but, uh, <laughs> gin with her Madge. I love that. <laughs> but uh, but doing that gives a um, a lot of added capability to to access market yeah. and and those are absolutely important and fundamental and when we started we started with an ambition to be global we didn't look for um, small fleets we started with insurers which was a very big challenge to begin with and and quite a seemingly insurmountable one at the beginning but we had a lot of faith and a lot of um ability to uh, find the right contacts. And if you can convince one person, use them to convince the next, that got us through the first few doors. I wouldn't say it was easy. And there was also, we were at the right time at that beginning period that allowed us to get into some doors at that point, but because it was a new technology, Mm. people were more willing, more receptive to be able to hear what we had to say. And, but we've capitalized upon that. We've taken that advantage and actually, um, use that to grow hugely internationally. Yeah, it's brilliant to see a, a Sheffield company take that first mover advantage and convert it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's something that many more could do. I think there is a, a lot of firms that are doing really interesting things in this city, mm. and a lot of them don't have much visibility even outside the city, let alone internationally. And I think some of the things that they do could easily be uh, pushed much harder and better. And I think some of that is. Um, down to experience of how you push these things. We're very good at that now. We're very mm. good at pushing new products, new ideas and so on. And I can see firms that have really good ideas that don't push them as hard as they could. And I think there is an ambition that Sheffield should do more here. What can we do about that? Because it's something that really interests me, this idea that there's all this hidden opportunity lurking around the city. But how do we surface it and how do we make sure that people outside of Sheffield and, and outside of the UK know about it? I think Sheffield for a long time has had an attitude of, well, we do great stuff, but but we don't want to tell anyone about it. <laughs> and I don't think that's particularly helped. And it particularly hasn't helped in the tech sector for some time. This, this, the city's been seen as manufacturing and manufacturing only for a very long time, if you look outside of the city. And it is important to recognise things that are here, because anything that you do recognise brings another three things in its wake. So it's trying to actually pinpoint the successes and highlight those successes and talk loudly about them. Don't be shy about it. Actually say what is good about the area that you're in, the things that you're doing, and make sure that people are happy and prepared to listen because what people do do here is good stuff Mm. and it should be mentioned more and people shouldn't be afraid of doing so. Mm. I think as the world has got noisier, I think Sheffield's approach has got 
you know, more counterproductive in a sense. You I know. agree. I agree. Um, it's certainly not embraced um, uh, new media in in particular, certainly mm. at uh, various levels. Um, but you do need to embrace all channels that are available to you or all channels that will be listened by your clients, all channels that would get things out there, not even just by your clients, but you want to create the community, the buzz in general. You want to say, this is a good place to work, not just your company, your niche, your mm. trade, actually wide message actually we're here this is what we do it's great it's a success yeah. it builds more success more people interested we get more applicants that come through because of it yeah yeah that's probably worth a little plug for our sheffield digital showcase event that's in two weeks time which we'll talk about later as well but yeah that's exactly the kind of thing that we're trying to do to surface more of these stories more of these companies products services yeah yeah get people to realize what, what gets made here mm, i think there's a lot more that we as in sheffield digital can do as well Sure, um, it, something I want to start looking at. Yeah, I think institutionally as a city, we need more of that as well. Yeah. and so um, maybe it's maybe it's a good time to talk about your other hat, okay? Which yep. is um, as chair of um, Economy Chef, which is the yep. economy group of the um, Chef Digital Coalition that we set up with the with the council a couple of years ago. Um, so talk, talk to us a bit about that. I mean, obviously Mel and I know because we, we go to the meetings, but for, for listeners out there, what, what is economy.chef and how does it work? So economy.chef is a coming together of various industries, councils, uh, universities, um, various agencies that would help improve and champion a particular area. And the, the area and the focus is about the technological industries within the Sheffield city region and to focus upon how do we make and improve them and make them better. And there's a whole range of challenges underneath that. There's skills, improving skills, making it visible, because obviously it hasn't been talked about enough for quite some time, and helping to make sure that there is a clear recognition community and clusters being formed that actually grow the population of tech here it's happened previously in other cities. Um, you can see it already happened in Shoreditch. Obviously, everyone mm. still talks about it, but Shoreditch has its own problems now. I mean, trying to find someone who's willing to stay there for a job more than six months is actually really <laughs> quite hard. Yeah. So there's there are challenges in different places, but Sheffield is now able to take a lot of the lessons from other places and apply them very quickly. And there's a lot of growth, a lot of things happening, and a lot of visibility that is starting to appear around the city. Yeah. So... Who's involved in economy.chef or if people are interested, how might they get involved? So the aim of economy.chef is to bring together those that can help make a bigger change to try and drive that general digital sector in general. So it tends to have the larger organisations, the ones that have a voice that might get recognised outside of the city or the or able to provide um, skills within the city that makes a long-term difference. So in terms of getting involved, it's welcome and open to any organisation that is able to try and help that agenda, to try and push that. It's in everyone's interest that we do this. It's not just a, a self-centred thing that one organisation thinks, oh, that will help me. It's, it's, it's actually, it makes the place better for everybody. And this is the important message. It's really, really vital that all firms that are capable of doing this engage, because if you do, it improves your own lot. It doesn't. You don't want to be an isolation, your own little world. Actually, it's about building clusters, strength, a community, people that talk to each other about how they solve problems. That's where productivity is risen. Mm. And what sort of things would you hope that members of the group would do other than just show up for meetings and, and talk a lot? So there's quite a lot of plans in place to try and put initiatives together to help improve skills, for mm. example. So there are funding bids that get involved in between various partners. There's um, a lot of uh, showcasing and signposting to various activities and making sure they're more visibly seen. There's also a particular initiative at the moment to try and make more visible the whole activity of the tech sector within the region. And the more that we can do this, the more inward investment we'll get, the more uh, people will come here to work, the better it is for the firms that are in the region. And also a general improvement of the infrastructure that's available for the tech community mm. in the city. Yeah, that's that that aspect of it is kind of um, predicated on Sheffield's digital tech identity, if you like, isn't it? And, yeah. you know, the kind of the subsectors that are emerging. We've talked about this on this podcast before a few times, but... um. It'd be interesting to hear from your perspective, Sam, about the conversations you've been having with with government and with others about you know, what those what those subsectors are and how they. So come I've together. been 
having a lot of conversations with uh, a whole variety of different organisations, uh, government, uh, central and uh, local, um, head of digital, um, Department for International Trade and so on, about the, the visibility of what Sheffield has. And primarily, people tend to see Sheffield as, oh, it's advanced manufacturing, they must have some industrial tech. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not much shouting about what's the core strengths of the tech sector within this city. And there is a lot of other things here that are very, very strong. And in fact, some of them more strong in in many ways Mm. in the tech sector than the industrial area entirely. So in terms of the um, high value job growth, if you start looking across the sectors that are within the tech community, there are a number of key areas there. Um, EdTech has been here for quite some time and there is a huge strength in the number of firms that are here. There's, uh, there's, uh, I won't name them all. So I don't <laughs> want to name one because I'll upset the ones that I don't know. So, but there's a whole host of firms that fit underneath the education area. I mean, there's a department for education here. There's a whole Sorry. load of other activities. Okay, maybe give one little stat, which, which is not corroborated, but which I heard the other week, which is, um, which is that I think 60% of all teaching resources in the country, um, are managed here in Sheffield yeah. by three companies. That's a nice stat. Yeah. Good one. I have yeah. to actually go and research should, it and yes, check it really. out. But <laughs> I'm told that it's about 60% yeah, of the market. It's verifying. Yeah. And I think also it's, it's about driving the future of those industries because that's happening here more than it is in other places. So inside that education area, there's a lot of people looking at how to use virtual reality, yeah. how to use new ways of educating and building that into the classrooms. And that's not just the big firms, that's the small ones as well. But they're having a real impact on what that future is. And that's being driven from here. And it's certainly a centre of excellence that's recognised very wide, but not advertised well. Mm-hmm. And well, this, not associated with Sheffield particularly. Exactly. And this is, this is the point. There are a number of sectors that we really do need to push Sheffield more for, because um, EdTech ed is one of those. And of course, that has enough of a recognition around its area mm. that could easily take the cli- the title for England, really. Mm. It, there really is little of a contender for that crown. So why not say Sheffield is the centre of EdTech? Um, there's there's many other sectors, of course, um, and but the prime ones are the ones that um, are driving the economic growth and the visibility at this moment. There'll be more to come mm-hmm. later on, but at the moment, the prime ones are EdTech, Creative Tech and Mobility Tech. Uh, these are the areas that we've um, uh, come up with in lots and lots of conversation, and uh, I can explain each of those in a minute because they're some of them are hard to grasp exactly what's in what each, each sector. What does that mean? But um, these are these are subsectors that are also evidenced by data from the DIT as well, aren't they? Yes, it is. It's, it's evidenced by data from DIT. It's evidenced from the firms that are of high growth, those that are actually creating um, income, profit, in particular um, export business that is coming in. Employment. In, international recognition, awards and employment. And if you start looking down that basis, there are some core centres and those core centres in the tech industry around EdTech, which is obviously anything to do with education and technology, um, creative tech, which doesn't just think about, it's not just creating websites, that's actually the full full range right through from video games to, to um, editing, through to film, through to any creative or immersive experience that's focused on technology mm-hmm. is a core strength here. And it fits closely with what goes on with the likes of DocFest and yeah. the um, the film and media activities of the city. So it's, I guess it's technology that's used by the creative and cultural industries. Correct. Yes. And there is a, a good, strong strength of that here. Uh, the other one is uh, mobility tech. And this one is uh, anywhere where digital is touching something that moves. And that's not just to say... Um, it's um, about things that move around like our business. I mean, that's robotics. That's mm-hmm. also health tech. That's uh, looking at the monitoring of things as they move around. That includes um, includes rail. It includes all sorts of different areas. And there's a lot of key companies here that have a large presence in those areas mm-hmm. and a growing presence that creates a cluster of strength and expertise. It's really exciting, isn't it? And then I guess added to which there's also the digital manufacturing area. So the, this this area that most people would associate Sheffield with around advanced manufacturing, which, which a lot of activity is essentially you know, underwritten by computing and data and increasingly so. Absolutely. So. It goes without saying that Sheffield, of course, 
should have an expertise here. We mm. have the manufacturing background. We need that to embrace digital and digital is here. So we may as well make the best we can of that yeah. and use the it's resources door, that we have available. It? it is a place where that should thrive. And we are already recognized on the manufacturing side, mm. build the technology side around that. And there's a lot of firms doing that at the moment that is a sector that is definitely strong and emerging within the city. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that interests me about this idea of saying, you know, there are these three or four core areas where Sheffield is streets ahead of everybody else, is that part of it is if you talk about it, you can help make it come true. You can give people <laughs> things to focus around. So on the mobility tech, that for me feels you know, very emerging and something that we can build on and something that people can start to think about. Well, I want to start a business. How does my expertise or my skills, where might I apply them in this broad mobility sector? What might I do there? And similarly, with advanced manufacturing, you would think there would be a, a way more tech companies here doing stuff in manufacturing than there actually are. And it feels to me like this is an, an opportunity. This mm. is a chance for people to, again, look at their skills, look at their capabilities, look at what they're strong in and ask themselves, how might I apply that to manufacturing? What would need to happen for me to take my idea and turn it into a business in that sector? And the more we say those opportunities are here and that's what you can do here in Sheffield, then the more I hope we'll see those kinds of businesses appear and, yeah. and explore. I think, I think there's, there's, there's three aspects of this, I think. You know, one is that this identity, um, it, it, makes, it makes the digital technology industry more legible um, to people here, to policymakers and kids. You know, they, they kind of understand the kind of things that get made here and get interested in that. And, mm. and you know, it allows them to engage with it more easily. Um, it also provides a magnet for people outside the city. You know, if this place is known for these four things, then this is probably a good place to go. This is probably where, you know, the the talent pipeline is aligned to those subsectors and is producing people that can help me grow my business. It's likely to be where conferences happen, where delegates come, you know, that kind of thing. And then, and then thirdly, um, I think what I find really, really fascinating is the connections between each of these subsectors. Like the, the space in between them is just ripe for innovation. Yeah. You know, I was, I was watching um, the video that was going around yesterday or the day before about um, Slipstream, which is um, Lightworks Designs, um, uh, you know, industrial visualization technology. And it's basically built in Unreal Engine. So it's, it's, the, it's that creative tech sector using, you know, video game technology um, to automatically convert um, manufacturing data from a, from a computer-aided design and, and visualize it in, in an environment that allows um, people in virtual reality to experience it and engineers to get into the car that they're designing and change things on the fly. And I just think things like that are just are so exciting and, and we should really be shouting about it. Yeah, definitely. I think that's very true, particularly between the sectors. And the, the emerging areas are very, very, very strong in each of these areas in the city. There is also a lot of strengths within the university building skills for these areas already. Mm. And I think that's the important thing, that there is the home to that for those graduates that come out that actually will create new opportunities and a wealth of expertise within the city that then will circle around. It will, it will go between firms, it will move around, but it actually builds a core expertise that mm. means this area will have that core strength for years to come. Fantastic. Yeah, that's really exciting stuff. It is, yeah. yeah. Feels like a good place to leave that, <laughs> it does. doesn't it? Sam, thank you very much indeed. Yeah, it's great time. talking to you. Right, so now it's time to give you our usual rundown of updates and good stuff and things that are happening. Going to hand over to Chris, who's going to tell us about the Sheffield Digital Showcase. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, our next showcase event is in two weeks' time as we record this. So Thursday the 27th of June at the workstation on Paternoster Row. Uh, it'll start at 5.30 and run till about 8 o'clock. Um, for those who don't know, the showcase is uh, a quarterly event where we get people who have developed something interesting in the tech industry here in Sheffield um, up on stage and basically interview them for 10 minutes each about the thing that they've delivered. Um, so it's a great um, opportunity for uh people to talk about stuff that gets made here, the kind of companies that get made here um, across the, the whole range of different things. So we really try to sort of have a balance of different kinds of product and service and experience and um, 
from across the tech and digital industry here in Sheffield. Um, and it's shaping up to be a really good event. Um, we've got uh, we've got four guests confirmed currently. I'm working on the fifth slot at the moment and um, hoping that, that they'll confirm soon as well. Uh, but the four that we've currently got are um, Keisha Bradley, um, who's the founder of Brightbox Makerspace. So Keisha's um, opened a makerspace for kids uh, down in Castlegate. So I'm going to be talking to her about um, how she's made that happen. Um, also going to be talking to Jamie Hinton and Andy Gunn from Razor, um, who have been involved in um, creating Market of Mums, which is, uh, I think it's the fastest growing e-commerce platform in the UK this year. Excellent. Um, so it's basically a, a, a marketplace of mums. It's, it's a trading um, platform and app for um, mums and dads to uh, sell and exchange um, baby stuff. Uh, then we're going to be talking to Gemma Barnes and Nigel Jones from um, Her Majesty's Prison and Probation Service, who have a um, big digital studio here in Sheffield that maybe not many people know about. Um, but uh, Gemma and Nigel are going to be talking about um, a media and content platform um, they built um, for prisons and prisoners. Um, how that came about and, and, and how, how it works and what it's for. Um, but it, it's really having a big effect in the prisons where they, they rolled it out. Um, um, because it, it, it allows, um, first of all, it, it allows prisoners to, to kind of, um, engage with content that's coming in from outside, which that they're, they're otherwise isolated from. Um, but it also allows the prisons, uh, and other prisoners to provide information about life in the prison and help, help people out. You know, they're complex, um, places to navigate, especially when people first arrive. Um, and it also provides them um, a, a form of self-expression as well. So prisoners make their own content and can host it on the platform. Um, so I thought that's really interesting. And, you know, a real different kind of thing that's made by a major government department right here. Mm. Um, and then we've got um, Ed Hardy um, from Impelling uh, in Rotherham, um, who, um, this we said, uh, web development agency, um, but they've gone into a uh, product world and uh, they've released a, a, an internet filtering application for primary schools, um, which is really interesting because they, they've really concentrated on how it's designed and, and uh, solving some of the problems that teachers and schools have with, with web filtering. So it really puts the control in the hands of teachers um, and prevents, you know, demos from people coming in from outside and, and, and teaching materials from not being used because when you come to use it for, for whatever reason, um, access to those websites are, are blocked or, mm. you know, haven't been whitelisted or, or whatever. Um, so they're going to be talking about, you know, the problems and how they've kind of become connected to those problems and what they've done to solve it. And I think, um, their product study safe is a really interesting, um, new entrant into the marketplace. So it's an opportunity for them to talk about that as well. Um, so yeah, so that's, that, those are the things that are going to be, um, on display. Um, and, um, you can go and sign up now. I'm sure there'll be a link in the, in the show notes. Um, the show, um, the digital showcase uh, is produced by us, uh, and we do it in association with the platform, which is, uh, the kind of creative industries, um, networking business networking event that's run by showroom workstation, uh, and Sheffield technology parks and business Sheffield. Um, but, uh, we're also opening the event up for sponsorship for the first time. So if any, um, companies want to sponsor the event and get your branding into the event and into the uh, talk videos and the and the other um, media that comes out of the event, uh, drop us a line. Um, there's a standard price for, for companies and a discount for if you're a Sheffield Digital member. Fantastic. And the next thing on the list is the AR City, RR City, yes. Sheffield's first playable city festival. That's right, yeah. We mentioned this uh, on a previous podcast, I think, but is it now all actually happening? It is, yeah. So, and all of that. So I think the last time we talked about it, it was um, off the back of um, a series of workshops that were done in the autumn, where um, as a, as a um, an organisation called Alfie that does kind of uh, learning for young people. Um, and they worked with the architecture department, uh, and, a, and an organization called Liveworks, um, out of Sheffield university last year to do a series of workshops around this playable city idea. And they came up with them, um, I think it was 16 different concepts. Um, and they prototyped a couple of them, um, 
So Zach Ahmed, who runs Alfie, they're, they're based at 108 The Moor. So if anyone's been down to the bottom of The Moor, um, there's a unit called 108 The Moor, which is basically kind of an, an innovation, workshopping, engagement space and, mm. uh, and workshop um, where all this activity takes place. Um, so they're based down there and um, and off the back of that workshop series that they did uh, where they got young people to uh, to work with technologists um, from companies like Arm, um, to uh, come up with these ideas. Um, Zach is now turning this into a two-week festival, um, uh, the Sheffield's first playable city festival, which will be held in December this year. Um, and out of the prototypes that they've developed, um, I think they're choosing five that they're going to actually work up into into proper projects that will go into the city and people can engage with. Um, and they're really interesting. So it's this combination of, of uh, you know, young people learning about the city, learning about digital technology and how to use technology um, to create, uh, you know, more engaging experiences that allow citizens to kind of discover things about the city that they maybe didn't know about before or, or, in, or interact with their city in a, in a different way. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I, I'm, I'm, stoked about it i think it's brilliant <laughs> it's, it's such an exciting thing it is, um, yeah. and uh, i would really like more tech companies to get involved in it it's a little bit sort of quiet um the, the, all this work has been going on for quite a while but uh i know zach um took some of the prototypes to the um, festival of debate last week to 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 show people some of them. So people may have seen them there. Um, but yeah, he really wants, um, companies to kind of get involved and, and, uh, and, and help develop some of these, you know, some of these ideas into things that, you know, are, are, are of an enough scale and rugged enough that, you know, lots of people can actually, um, you know, interact with them and, and have them work over a two week period later okay. this year in the cold and the, and the, and the, the wet and everything. So do you know when it's happening? Uh, it's December, so oh, right. yeah, yeah, two weeks in December. Yeah. So um, he's pushed it to later this year, partly because some of them are very light based. Um, so you know uh, they'll they'll get more use when it's darker earlier. Mm. But obviously that has other issues. But also you kind of think at the beginning of, Dece- of December, there's not there's all Christmassy stuff going on. But you know there's there's not that much to get gets people out of the house and into the city. And yeah. so to have to have this going on for two weeks might might help footfall at an interesting time of the year as That's well. That's great. So. Well, we'll. When we do the show notes, we'll try and make sure there's links in, if you are interested in getting involved to how to do that. Yeah. 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 We, we put a blog post up about it um, just yesterday and there's mm. a video there featuring uh-huh. a whole bunch of people that have been involved, including yours truly. Uh-huh. Uh, so you can go and find out what it's all about there. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. And then uh, probably this will have happened in the past by the time this podcast goes to air. Yeah. Uh, but the um, Hallam Festival of Education is taking place uh, tomorrow and Saturday. So that's Friday, Saturday, yep. 14th and 15th of June. Um, and this looks huge. It's it looks, I think it's the first time it's yeah. happened. Yeah. Um, so, so I think this is, um, this is, this has got bigger than I think it was, was originally intended. Uh, I, I get the impression that the Hallam kind of, you know, suggested doing this and then, uh, the guys at Tez resources who, um, you know, they've, moved here from London, mm. one of the big kind of ed tech companies in the country, um, wanted to work with Hallam to kind of make it into something a bit bigger. So they said, well, look, why don't we just take a Saturday? So I think it was originally just supposed to be the Friday. And now they right. said, we'll invite everybody to our offices on the Saturday and we'll, we'll have a, like a really f- kind of focused ed tech, um, you know, uh, yeah, conference. So, so there's, you know, there's, the whole thing is about education and, and the first, the first day, I guess, is, is engages, you know, people involved in education, but day two at Ted's Ted resources is specifically about ed tech. And yeah. I think it's, it's really exciting. They've got, they've got a really good lineup of, of speakers and panelists and things like that. So Yeah. I had a look at the program earlier and I thought, wow, that does look really, really interesting. Um, you, the ticket link has gone, but. Yeah. I think, I think the, Tickets were on sale until yesterday. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's sold out. It's, I mean, it's. I guess it's kind of an industry thing in a way, but I think the majority of the ed tech industry in Sheffield is going to be there. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's well, great to see these kind of subsectoral things. Excellent. You know, so, scale. so if you're listening to this and you were there, yeah. um, we'd love to know more about what went on, maybe get you to do a guest blog post or maybe even come and talk to us on the podcast and tell us more about it. So yeah. get in touch 
by info at sheffield.digital if you were there in the past future, future <laughs> past. We always get ourselves knocked all in a knot when we do this. <laughs> don't, don't think about it too much. <laughs> I'll try not to. <laughs> okay, so I wanted to give a little bit of a skills update, quick thing. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, to say, for those who don't know, uh, Sheffield Hallam have launching an MSc software engineering apprenticeship. So that follows on from their undergraduate degree. So that takes it from level five, six to level seven Mm -hmm. apprenticeship. Um, And I think as well, there's also um, an MSc in cyber security at the University of Sheffield now, but I don't think that's an apprenticeship. I think that's a straight MSc. So it's good to know, see those things are happening. Yeah, it's remote as well, isn't it? The the Hallam one. Oh, right. Yeah, the MSc apprenticeship. So you basically, you can carry on working where you are and earn yourself a master's degree remotely at the same time. And have it funded. And have it funded, yeah. Which which is, is, (laughs) I think, yeah, 95% of all of the costs are are covered by the uh, apprenticeship levy. Yeah. So it works really well for employers as well as for for apprentices. Yeah. So we'll make sure there's a link for more info. I think that's that's maybe something to point out. I think this kind of gets missed in this because when people hear apprentice, they think young people straight Mm. out of school. um, Whereas these apprenticeships are really for existing staff. So it doesn't matter what age you are. If you're working somewhere, you, you can, you can essentially, um, you know, earn yourself a, a master's degree as an apprentice, as a apprentice yeah. in parallel. Yeah, absolutely. And as you pointed out, if you're the size of employer who pays the um, apprenticeship levy, then this is a way for you to spend some of that, That's which right. I know a lot of companies are having trouble doing. Yeah. And if you're a smaller company, the uh, the larger companies basically fund it for they pay, you. They pay for it for you. So yeah. um, if they're, that's yeah. a win-win, win, a triple win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so also talking about the universities, um, I've been having some good conversations at the University of Sheffield about making sure that Sheffield Digital has a big presence at their October careers events. Ah, so yeah. both the STEM career one, but also for the general career one. So what I'm hoping to do is organise it so that we have quite a large space and we invite a whole bunch of employers to come and be part of that to show students what the digital industries in Sheffield are all about and what sort of companies there are and what sort of jobs and opportunities there are. And I'm hoping to be able to do the same sort of thing with Hallam just having some conversations with them at the moment about that. So expect to hear from me sometime over the summer about how you might get involved in that. And I hope we we can make a really big impression and show these students that they don't have to go and work for IBM down Mm. south if they want to work in tech. For example. For example. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Other large companies are available. (laughs) Sorry, IBM. (laughs) We love you, really. (laughs) What am I talking about? Startup summer. Yeah. Or I'll talk about startups. Sometimes. I don't know anything about it. You don't know anything well, about it. Chris, where have you been? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Startup Summer is happening at Collider and it's a collaboration between the University of Sheffield and the Eagle Labs team yes, at Collider. I think it's already started, hasn't it? Has it already started? I think it started this week. Ah, so, but there's probably still time to get involved as a mentor if you'd like to. Certainly as a mentor. I, I know that they were, they were um, kind of allowing um, startups that have already got a project um, to join in week two. Ah. Because week, week one is kind of familiarisation, if you like, and, yeah. and um, you know, work workshopping mm. ideas. Um, but if you, you've already got an, got an idea, you're already, you know, somewhere along along the the path then you can start in week two although when this goes out that'll that will week two will already be underway yeah um and then in the final week there's kind of there's more talks and kind of in, engagement with what's going uh, other things that are going on here yeah what might be interesting is to see if they're going to have a wrap-up pitch event yeah. that they need an audience for because that might be fun to go along to yeah, absolutely. so we can find out about that um eventy things so remember we had that lovely festival <laughs> Seems like so long ago. It does feel like a long time ago. Um, if you registered for the festival, you should have got an email asking for feedback. It's just a very short survey and it would be hugely helpful if you would take a couple of minutes and fill that in because the feedback that you give us will help us shape next year's events and make it even bigger, better and more awesome. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, one of the things I mentioned while we're talking about events, actually a couple of things. Mm. Um, first of all, another event that's happening next month in July is that there's the um, European Round uh, or European Open of the World Educational Robotics oh, um, yeah. Competition. So that there was a qualifying round earlier this year and two Sheffield robot- young robotics teams qualified. Um, there's another um, European round, which is being held here in Sheffield next month. Awesome. Um, and there's going to be teams falling all over. There's a there's a bunch of Chinese teams coming over. There's Mexican teams and Turkish teams coming over, as well as teams from across the UK as well. But um, there's there are several Sheffield teams that we're all rooting for. Uh, and there's you know an opportunity if they can raise the money to send four teams to the world finals in Shanghai this year. Um, so yeah, there's uh, we put a post about it on on our website last week. Um, but yeah, any sponsors who want to get involved and, you know, want to help, um, you know, these young um, you know, kids and a, a parent uh, go to the finals. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, the community really got behind it last time. Yeah, it was they? fabulous. It was really good. Yeah. And if they're sending the double the number of teams, then OPT. they're going to need double the number of sponsors. Yeah, so. that's right. I mean, you know, that's assuming that all that four Sheffield teams end up Course qualifying. They will. Of course they will. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but it's really fantastic to see. And, it, and it's just great to see something that's so aspirational for, for, for young kids across the city, yeah. you know, who are so passionate about, about programming robots. I mean, it's great to see them. And if you've ever got a chance or, you know, just, you know, try and get a ticket to go and to go and watch the, the this round of the European um, championship because, you know, you just see these, these groups of really young kids, you know, as young as like six years old, yeah. um, you know, building robots and then programming them and testing them. You know, they, they work on these tables and then take them down to the, to the, the mats where they, mm. they, they, um, they compete on the tasks and see them troubleshoot things that are going on and then run back and like change some things and tweak them and go back again. You know, it's uh, it's intense, but it's it's just it's great to see. <laughs> Good I love stuff. It. Excellent. Um, and uh, the other thing to talk about events-wise is that, um, fingers crossed, everything is set for um, Sheffield, uh, for Smart Sheffield, the um, Smart Cities event, uh, to come back in September. So uh, we've secured um, new sponsorship for that, um, which kind of sets us up for the next uh, year's worth of events. So that'll be six events every two months uh, where we host um, companies and people who are doing uh, kind of tech at, at city scale. So kind of solving urban challenges uh, with technology. Nice one. Okay. And then also an event of sorts. Um, I'm going down to number 10. Downing Street on the 2nd of July. Not all on my own, I hasten to add. So um, you've heard me To meet Boris, presumably. Oh, God. um, Anyway, this is... uh, Yeah, you've really put me off my stride there. Um, You've heard me mention before the National Tech Clusters Group that Sheffield Digital is part of, and I go along to their meetings. And they have arranged this visit to number 10 Downing Street um, to go and talk to policymakers. I'm not sure who we're actually going to be meeting. And the main topic of the event of, of the meeting is going to be around the sorts of business support that are available, that's available to tech companies. So um, we have been supporting some quick research that was done in all the different uh, cluster cities and we'll be discussing that. So um, I'm going to go. I'm not at all sure what to expect. Um, I don't know whether we'll just get talked at or whether we'll get a chance to present or Mm. pitch or ask questions. But what I will say is if there is something that you would like me to raise that's relevant to the tech sector in the Sheffield city region, and um, if I raise it, I won't promptly get escorted out by security, then do please drop me a line because I would like to be able to talk about what companies in Sheffield want the central government policymakers to know about what it's like being a tech business in the north of England. And lastly, great, almost lastly, yeah. not quite lastly, good news time. Yeah, good news corner. <laughs> We need some kind of special jingle. We do, or a bell, or a <laughs> klaxon, or something. Anyway, we'll work on that. <laughs> so, um, first of all, big congratulations to Barnsley firm HMA Digital, who recently won a DBA Design Effectiveness Work Award. I'm not talking very well today, I'm sorry. Um, 
an award for work that they've done with teenage mental health charity STEM4 to create something called the Calm Harm app. And this is an app to help teenagers resist or manage the urge to self-harm, which is hugely uh, important and uh, tragic thing really yeah, and yeah. amazing that they've been able to create an app that apparently has been extremely successful and has created a very high effectiveness rating yeah it's had it's like 900,000 downloads it's awesome and yeah. has an effic- efficacy rating of 92% yeah, which means yeah. the vast majority of people have reported a, an improvement um, so yeah congratulations yeah. to them that's brilliant news huge congratulations definitely um, and we'd like to say that if you have achieved something similar with your business or you have some good news that you'd like to share and get mentioned on the podcast, then do let us know. We try and keep tabs on everybody who's entering awards and winning awards and things like that, but it's easy for us to miss them. Mm. So don't be shy about telling us what's happening so that we can give you a good shout out. Absolutely. Um, It's probably worth pointing out as well, just on a good news front, I think we've got 40 open positions on the job board at the moment. That's big. I don't know if that's a record, but you know, it's... That's a lot of jobs. That's excellent. That's a lot of jobs, yeah. yeah. And, and we know there's lots of companies that don't use our job board. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's great for us. Yeah. Um, Sheffield Data Ring Road, do you know what this is? Yeah, so so that there, there was a write-up in one of the sort of trade um, papers uh, about um, Sheffield's uh, public Wi-Fi system, mm-hmm. um, which is now I, I can pretty much a year into its rollout now. Um, and it's it's starting to get quite a bit of attention because of the, the architecture of it. Um, so I, th- I think it's now the densest um, Wi-Fi network in the UK. Um, but it's, it's, it's based on a different kind of uh, technology architecture. So um, what's called a backhaul. So the, the, the connection between the access points that you see like on lampposts and buildings in the city um, is over wireless, not over fibre. Right, and so so the whole of the city is essentially sort of cloaked in a in a, a wireless network, um, and then the wireless the 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 Wi-Fi access points use use that network to communicate outside. Right. Um, so <clears throat> one of the reasons for that is um, for historical reasons that this Sheffield City Centre um, wasn't very well fibred up in the first roll out of fibre mm. um, for reasons that would take me quite a bit to explain. But <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> generally to do with um, the, the failure of digital region. So as a result, we've got very good fibre connections, basically as far as the ring road, but not inside because um, the, the money that Sheffield was able to draw down to fill the gap was from the, the Rural Development Fund, which was didn't allow investment in the city centre. Um, but kind of the, the city has turned that into... Um, kind of a, a positive, really, because we've got a we've got a, a public Wi-Fi system that's predicated on a very different model that doesn't rely on digging the ground, digging the roads up, and putting fibre in, um, and is very extensible and, and very high bandwidth. Um, and so it's it's getting quite a lot of attention for for how Sheffield has approached this problem. I know the the Wi-Fi network itself has been really successful. I think there's something like um, ten to eleven thousand users on it every day now, mm-hmm. uh, and almost fifty thousand people. Have signed up to it um and it's got very very high bandwidth um but it's also uses a, uses a set of technology that aren't common in common use in kind of developed cities but they are in common use in developing countries where that haven't you know got fiber infrastructure yeah um so I, it's going to be really interesting to see how um you know applications that are developed for the network here uh, can find a market elsewhere I, mm. you know, personally i think it's a, it's a it's a real asset because um you know we're not we wouldn't be competing in a very crowded market for these things because there's parts of the world that are crying out for new services to be developed on a network just like the one that sheffield's got so is there a way that companies could actually use this as a test bed well yeah i think that's that's what's kind of the is going to start coming together the, the, there's no formal test bed or, or way of engaging right now but mm. um i know from some of the work that i've been doing recently in conjunction with the council, that that's that's basically what what is uh, what we would like to happen and what is likely to happen, and 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 not just for Wi-Fi or or kind of internet bandwidth, but for for Internet of Things um, connectivity as well. So, mm. and obviously five G ultimately, but 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 other Internet of Things networks like LoRaWAN and things like that in the meantime as well. So, 
there's a there's a Sheffield connectivity strategy which is kind of a draft stage which the city will be publishing fairly soon, uh, which will kind of lay out you know all of you know how this network works and how these innovation resources are going to be made available to, for for companies to come and develop things using it. So yeah, excellent. It's exciting. It is. That's really good. It's nice to uh, nice to be on the map for exciting groundbreaking stuff like that yeah, yeah I know. it's quite a turnaround from <laughs> yeah. where we were a few years ago so. okay so uh, a quick rundown of upcoming events um 17th of june sheffield tech leadership meetup 20th of june sheffield ml uh, zen and the art of artificial general intelligence sounds good 27th of june front end sheffield grace Zazinska, apologies if I've mispronounced the name, and Craig Shaw speaking. Also on the 27th is, as you heard Chris mention earlier, the Sheffield Digital Summer Showcase. Yeah. And um, if you are, happen to be in Leeds and can't get back down to Sheffield for either of those, you can come and support me at the uh, Tech Nation thing roadshow Road yeah. uh, instead it'd be nice to see some friendly faces in the crowd <laughs> 2nd of july is dotnet chef uh 3rd of july chef test 18th of july sheffield php um and as always you can check out the events calendar on sheffield digital website to see what's coming up and the events channel in our slack Lastly, I wanted to mention that we're planning another annual general meetup for our members after the first one last year, but it'll be sometime in September to give us a chance to plan it properly. And uh, we'll also make sure that there are no sporting events happening on that date. (laughs) (laughs) Quick um, update and huge shout outs and thank yous to our latest members. Yeah. So uh, we've got... Several new company members. Uh, so Pendo have signed up, um, which is the company that bought out Receptive, as we heard from talking to Hannah uh, Chaplin the other week. Uh, we've also had a sign up by um, Peak Poke Play um, and uh, by another startup out of Collider, I think, which is Data Trainer. Uh, Kix, which is Sheffield University's uh, kind of IT department, I guess. Yeah. Uh, IT and, and computing services department have signed up as an as a enterprise member, which is fabulous. Absolutely amazing. And we're going to be publishing a blog post that tells you more about that, mm-hmm. more about why they decided they wanted to be a member that's right. As in their own right, which yeah. I think is really interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. They're, they're much bigger than I thought, and of course they, they don't just yeah. they don't just um, support IT within the within the university, but they they support the computing infrastructure for all of the research, which is really yeah. fascinating. Yeah, talking lots of data there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, and we've had a sign up from uh, the iRepair stop on Ecclesall Road, which is um, uh, a really um, nice uh, Apple repair shop. Yeah. So thanks to them. Excellent. And also to a new individual member, Phil Jones. Nice to have you aboard, Phil. Okay, so uh, we managed to get through that without Ian, without completely disgracing ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) We imagine having just finished it. We hope. He's going to have to edit this and shake his head over it a lot. Um, Just to do the usual closing things, which is to say, um, if you've enjoyed this podcast uh, and you're not subscribed already, please subscribe in iTunes or whichever app you prefer to use. Um, you can find out more at uh, sheffield.digital forward slash podcast. Please spread the word and uh, leave a review for us as well. Bye. Bye-bye.